Maybe you felt chills or goosebumps. Perhaps it's an overwhelmed feeling of something bigger than you or more complex. Whatever the feeling, God put the response in your soul as a reminder of His presence, power, and glory. It's called awe, and He wants to remind us of it every day in many ways. Join us as we discover how God has used His awe to inspire others to follow Him deeper in their lives. Today on In Awe by Bruce, we have Chris Zuleski, who is an award-winning documentary filmmaker, journalist, and he's an assistant professor at Wake Forest, originally from the great state of Ohio here up in Canton. Uh, he does documentary film projects also, and, and that's what we're going to talk about today. But prior to that, kind of his background was he did not only documentary films, but he was a newspaper reporter, multimedia producer, and so he has a, quite a plethora of skills going into what this documentary became. Uh, he also has worked in nonprofit communications. So huge background and different things that, that have an effect on this documentary. And I'd just like to welcome Christopher to our show. Christopher, thanks for being on today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. So your documentary is called Theirs is the Kingdom. And before I dive into the specifics of it, I just want to ask, what was it that led you to this documentary project, and, and what was it that drew you in? At the time, I was living in Asheville, North Carolina, and mm -hmm. it was actually a subject of mine from a previous film that I had made. She had, she had told me about this fresco mural that this church in downtown Asheville called Haywood Street Congregation was thinking about uh, painting. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. And there was a little bit of a funding controversy attached to it that didn't really end up being much of a part of the film at all. But I thought, well, there's enough here that I'm going to go. I'm going to go downtown. I'm going to meet uh, with the pastor and I'm going to hear him talk for a little bit. And from the first five minutes of, of hmm. hearing him talk, and this is uh, Reverend Brian Combs, who's the founding pastor of Haywood Street, I was sucked in. I mean, he <laughs> talks about this idea of people on the margins and in poverty feeling invisible because they're never seen. And I just thought, wow, that's such an interesting concept to take that idea and kind of flip it on its head here with a fresco mural. And I, I just kind of was, was sucked in. And so it, it kind of snowballed a, a little bit quicker than I, than I had thought. Tell everybody how long you spent taking time to do this film, because I think that that says a lot about the way that it touched your heart. Yeah, it was about a three-year process. I mean, wow. uh, in that, in that was, you know, part of this film follows the uh, technique of fresco painting, which isn't really practiced that much anymore. That's a pretty long, time-consuming process. The other part of the film is meeting a number of the folks in this fresco, which I know we're going to get to, and hearing their stories because the fresco is depicting real people in this Asheville community who are battling homelessness, addiction, mental illness. And then the third part, and it was kind of the thing that pulled me in initially, is just the theology of Haywood Street. And I just find what they're doing so fascinating and so powerful. And so every time I thought I was done filming, I'd, I'd find something else to film. And I <laughs> ended up being about a three-year process. As we think, you know, people might be listening to this and going, uh, okay, Fresco, so what? What's that have to do? Can you tie in together the meaning and the purpose behind doing it as a Fresco yeah. With the people that are being marginalized. Yeah. Yeah. So when, when we hear the word fresco, you probably think of, you know, the Sistine Chapel or maybe the Last Supper by Da Vinci. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's an old, 
old form of, of artwork that really isn't practiced that much because it is so time consuming and it requires a lot of people to have a really specialized knowledge and just not a lot of folks practice it anymore. Um, and what makes fresco unique, uh, certainly more unique than say an oil painting where the paint would sit on the surface of the canvas or on the surface of the wall. In fresco painting, you're painting the pigment into wet lime plaster. The, the mm. pigment is literally pulled into the wall. It becomes the wall. And so you have this, this idea of the paint becoming this permanence, right? This real, this permanent yeah. part of a building. And you're, you're taking then folks who are on the margins of society, who never get to hear their stories told, who are largely invisible. And those are the exact people that you're depicting in this form of artwork. And so I just felt there was a really strong symbolism from the very beginning. I thought, oh, that's really, really interesting. And so I think that the idea of this is a fresco mural specifically, not just a, it is a large mural. I mean, it's 28 feet long by 12 feet tall. Yes. Uh, but specifically as a fresco really drives home that idea of permanence, that idea of kind of immortalizing those who, who are on the margins. So now compare the theme of this fresco to something like the Sistine Chapel or the other frescoes that were painted heavily in Europe. Yeah, I mean, that's right. That's Most of them are depicting uh, biblical scenes or at least depicting powerful, rich influential people in society. And mm. so this this fresco scene is, I mean, it was inspired by the Beatitudes, but it, mm. it's not depicting a, a scene from the Bible necessarily. And mm -hmm. it is actually painting real people, like I said, who are battling homelessness, addiction, mental illness. And so it is taking a little bit of a, you know, to your point, it's kind of taking a twist on what traditional frescoes have shown in the past mm. and what they have painted in the past. And that was kind of the point of it with this church. I mean, that's why yeah. they wanted to do it. And so there's there's a lot to be said with just on the message that they painted onto the wall. For the people listening, if you can just imagine a total flip, you, it's not that there's anything wrong with some of the glorious paintings, uh, frescoes right. from the Bible. Then some turn into where they're focused more on the people who are, are authorizing them. But here, you you've got people of true need, the people that Jesus would have reached out to and gone to first, your tax gatherers, your sinners, your those people, and that's who's in the fresco. You see the hands of God up there at the very top, mm -hmm. uh, but you see the effect is of what these people have on each other's lives and other people's lives uh, that God would want us to have. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I think that, you know, there's something really powerful about the ministry of this church and, and this idea of abundance, mm -hmm. and you see it in everything that this church does. I mean, they have a, a twice weekly free meal that they call the welcome table. And mm -hmm. this is a meal prepared by, you know, I mentioned earlier, Asheville, a, a town mostly known for breweries and five-star restaurants. Yeah. Those same chefs that prepare the rest the, those meals in the restaurants are the ones that make the meals at Haywood Street. Mm -hmm. It's pretty remarkable. And wow. so that idea of abundance kind of translates over to the fresco. It's, you know, how, how can we best make a change in people's hearts and minds Let's put folks into a painting who would never otherwise been able to to see themselves there or who would have never otherwise been able to afford to go to a museum and see these beautiful paintings. Why is that something that we view as this exclusive thing? Yes. Christopher, you did this during the COVID time. 
can you just give us a little insight on how important this is when you look at the homeless situation around the country right. and the way COVID affected everybody? And even coming out of that, it, the economy is not that great. So yeah. what's that mean for us in our thinking about who's around us? The very last filming session for this documentary was mm -hmm. uh, March 5th, 2020. So I had a lot of time to sit in my basement and, <laughs> and edit this footage. <laughs> which, you know, ended up actually being kind of a, a, a good thing to, to really focus on it. But, you know, a number of the folks in the, in the fresco, a number of the models talk about this idea of just being a paycheck away. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know we've all heard that phrase before, but to hear it in somebody's story and to see how it really played out, there's one, one model in particular named Angel who ended up being homeless for a year because she had an unexpected uh, heart attack and couldn't lift anything heavier than 10 pounds. And all she had done her whole life was was work as a, as a cashier or work in grocery stores. If you can't lift something, you can't yeah. have a job. Mm -hmm. And so she had never even thought that she was gonna be homeless. And here she is, all of a sudden, one paycheck away. And to your point, I think one of the uh, consequences of COVID is that it's thrust millions of people into poverty who would have never otherwise been there. Mm -hmm. And it, I think it has created um, a crisis in a number of ways in this country. But what this fresco is, is saying is that you, too, are somebody who has an important story, who deserves to be celebrated, who deserves to be honored. And I, I think because of COVID kind of thrusting more people into poverty, it is widening that scope a little bit. And I mm -hmm. think a lot of people are seeing that. Yeah. Uh, and so a number of these stories, uh, most of the production was done before COVID, but it was interesting how much, you know, obviously it goes without saying, but how much the world changed from the very last filming session to when the film was complete. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, one more thing on the people in the fresco is that it's that idea that you're almost like immortalized in a sense, yeah. right? In, into that fresco because they don't, you know, they stay around for a long time. Yeah. Right. You'd have to really knock down the wall. Really. I mean, or move the wall. I don't know how, how that would happen with a 28 by 12 foot fresco, yeah. but yeah, it's, there's a real sense of um, immortalizing these paintings and, and a, a real sense of permanence. So as you were there and experiencing the feelings that, that the people had that were in the painting and even those that weren't, tell us what some of those feelings were like and, and what it meant to them to see this. Oh yeah, that it was it was one of the the more powerful things to film is to see their reaction when they first saw the fresco but also kind of saw themselves in in a way they would have never envisioned. And so hmm. when the fresco was complete the, the North Carolina Museum of Art uh, did this event uh, where they had scenes from the fresco and they had pieces of artwork by artist Christopher Holt in the gallery there in the in the Museum of Art. I mean, this is a beautiful museum in Raleigh, three and a half hours, four hours from Asheville. And mm -hmm. they brought in all of the models who were in the fresco that wanted to come. And I was so fortunate to see that and see their reaction when they saw themselves here in this beautiful museum gallery. And I mean, mm. let alone the fact that they maybe wouldn't have been able to afford to even go into the museum, but here they are seeing themselves on the wall of the museum. I mean, it literally brought them to tears, a number of them. And so it was a really powerful thing to capture, and it, it, it kind of bookends the film. How would you highlight maybe somebody's story that you felt kind of represented the whole thing best? You've told us about one. Mm -hmm. Anybody else that maybe brings home the point? 
so like I said, there was 11 um, uh, of the models that are fe- that are featured in the film, mm-hmm. and each one kind of has a really wonderful story. And but I, I'll I'll speak a little bit about Jeanette. Jeanette's a woman who uh, was kind of around Haywood Street from the very beginning. She was kind of a seminal figure in getting Haywood Street off the ground and in connecting members of of the Asheville homeless community to to come to Haywood Street for services. And she talks about uh, being there one day at Haywood Street and seeing a a young woman there who was living in a tent with her child Mm. and started talking to this woman. And the woman says to her, how would you know? You've never been homeless. Mm-hmm. And Jeanette responds by saying, oh, yes, I have. I had a, a bag of clothes on one knee and a child on the other, yep. not knowing where I was going to go. And I think that that idea of um, not having a homeless look, as she puts it, mm-hmm. uh, is, is a theme of the film. And you could take it one step further in that nobody knows what another person's going through. Right. We, we don't, we're all struggling with things big and small and I think it's a lesson to try to reserve our judgment and try to keep an open mind about what other people are going through. And Jeanette kind of sums it up much better than I am right now, but in a, in a way that I think kind of gets to the point of the film is that, you know, there is not a homeless look. People are going through struggles of all different degrees on a daily basis. And so who are we to judge? And as you were meeting all these people, how about tell us a little bit about Christopher Holt, who was yeah. the artist behind this? Mm-hmm. So Christopher is a, um, he went to UNC Chapel Hill to study art, and um, he's a fine artist by trade. He's a wonderful artist. He got connected uh, with a guy who's kind of viewed as like the godfather of the fresco movement, certainly in the South, named Mm -hmm. Ben Long. And Ben used to have a fresco school in Asheville. And so Christopher studied under Ben for a number of years. He apprenticed on nine or 10 different frescoes before finally getting his own fresco, meaning he's this is his first fresco as principal artist. Mm-hmm. And so there is this element of the film that Christopher is kind of carrying on this, this legacy, kind of carrying on this tradition. Western North Carolina in general has a, has a really uh, interesting and strong tradition that most people don't know about of, of contemporary frescoes. In the last 30 years, there's been a number of frescoes painted in Western North Carolina. And so Christopher kind of views a sense of pride in carrying on that tradition, carrying on that legacy. And mm-hmm. I do feature uh, Ben Long, uh, the like I mentioned, the godfather of the fresco painting in the South in the film. And there's a couple scenes with him in it. So that's kind of a, a cool angle of the film that that just kind of talks about carrying on a, a forgotten art form. Wow, yeah, I thought that was great the way you tied that in to, to bring you. him in and show how he was working with him and then bring him in when he was actually doing it. Yeah, right, right. And I, th- I think his comment was, you're waiting to hear hear something about this needs to be changed or dropped, but he walked away really complimentary of everything that Christopher was doing, which I think gave him a lot of confidence. Yeah, that's right. Like, I am i don't come from an art background, uh, and so anything that Christopher paints or, or draws, I'm just, like, blown away by. But, yeah. here, but here's him, to your point. Ben comes to the sanctuary to see how the painting's going, and Christopher's holding his breath. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, hope, I hope Ben likes it because I'm carrying on what he taught me pretty much. That's right. It's like you want your dad's approval. Yeah, right. That's right. <laughs> so now tell us if you were speaking for Reverend Combs, not that you necessarily would want to sure. take on that position, but in this situation, let's just say you're speaking for, for him as the pastor for the church. What do you think his message would be to the people listening 
to this podcast? Well, I think he says something early on in the film that he said to me a lot of times before, and that's the assumption that we have of what people need who are in poverty, Mm -hmm. that we assume that what they need most are the essentials of survival, you know, food, shelter, water. And and while that's absolutely true, and, and that is certainly what people need who are struggling, we never assume things like art and music, they never make it onto that list, and, and yet they are a key element to who we are as human beings. And so I think that this fresco kind of represents that theology that, mm. that Brian has, that Haywood Street has, that just because you may be living on the streets or living in poverty doesn't mean you shouldn't have access to things that make us human, like fine art. And the number of people when this project was originally started at Haywood Street did question the price tag. They questioned the motive. How many meals could you buy for the price of this fresco? Yeah. And, and Brian has talked about the uselessness of this fresco, but that is the point of it. I mean, that that is the point of it in his in his mind is that having fine art for folks who otherwise couldn't be able to see it as an extension of what they're doing for the homeless community in Asheville, that's kind of the point of it. And again, it's hard for me to speak for Brian because he's such an eloquent guy. Yes, <laughs> but he is. I, I, I think that that's what he would say is kind of the main takeaway. But I feel like whether you are or are not a person of faith, what Haywood Street is doing in the Asheville community for folks who are on the margins is a model or should be a model for cities around the country. I, I just feel like it's just so amazing to see what they're doing and continue to do. And the fresco falls into that, uh, mm-hmm. but it's just one piece. I think you're right. Uh, it is just one of the pieces, and you could look at it a lot of different ways. I mean, technically, how many people are coming to see that fresco to Asheville, and what's that do for their economy? Well, sure, and that was their initial argument when they received this grant, which we don't have to talk about the specifics, but yeah. they received a grant for what was viewed as a public art project. Even though it took place in a church, it was a public art project, and that was that was the exact argument. It's like a lot of people are coming to town to see this fresco. And there have been mm-hmm. been the case. There's been a number of people who've come. And my hope is that with this film getting out on a wider scale, that more people will will visit Haywood Street, will learn about what they're doing, and we'll see the fresco. I kind of put it in the monetary terms, just as if that's something you're going to argue about, I think you have to look at that part. But the, yeah. the bigger yeah. part for me is that, okay, what could that example mean to helping people that need help and making us more aware of it around our country, hmm. right? I mean, yeah. what's the value put on that? Yeah, well, that's exactly right. I mean, if you're changing at least how we view our concept of the other, I mean, I'll just say from, it is a real small example, but but even from my own personal experience, when you pull up to Haywood Street, I mean, it, it you know, you have people from all walks of life hanging out there in the parking lot and in the sanctuary and around the campus. It's hard sometimes to put aside your preconceived notions about yes. whatever. And one of the first times I talk with Brian, he talks about how you don't look somebody in the eye. You, you, don't, you don't recognize their humanity. If right. you're on the street corner day in and day out and how many people avert their eyes from somebody in that situation, you start questioning your own humanity. Yes. And I know it's a really small thing, but I try to look people in the eye. And I try to at least acknowledge that I see you as a human being. 
And I agree, you can't really quantify that. And I don't know if it, and I'm not saying that that's the change that we need right now or anything like that, but I do think that those small things mm-hmm. can eventually build up to make a big difference. Yes. And if the fresco starts doing that in a certain way, then I, I think, and I think that, that Reverend Combs would say the same thing, that, it, that it's a success. Yes. If it can seep through a crack in your heart mm-hmm. to, to make it more fleshly and understanding. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Christopher, just a little bit more, if you don't mind talking about yourself, when you know, you've expressed some and different things you've answered with, but if you summed up how it's changed your mindset and any actions in your life that you take, uh, like you talked about not averting your eyes. Yeah. Is there anything else particular? I was raised Catholic in Northeast mm-hmm. Ohio, as you mentioned. When I left home for college, I, I, I stopped going to Catholic church. And I, for a long time, was kind of questioning, you know, my faith, I, I yeah. think like a lot of people do. And one thing that this film did for me and one thing that learning about Haywood Street did for me was it showed me an idea of faith through action. What they're doing and all of their their ministries and outreach programs just really resonated with me. I mean, I was always on board with that. Previous documentaries that I had done, previous volunteer opportunities I had done, and it just connected with me on a level that that felt really natural to God's Word. I mean, it felt mm-hmm. like this is what it is about. And, you know, I have a five-year-old and four-year-old daughter right now, two, or two, two daughters, five-year-old and four-year-old. Yeah. I think that for me, this is a model I can get behind. I feel like this is something that's kind of changed my uh, spirituality, changed my view of religion a little bit, you know, not uh-huh. to overstate it or anything, but I, I really do feel that transformation. And so mm-hmm. I feel really fortunate and honored and lucky to have found this story and kind of follow it through to the end. Uh, but yes. that's probably the, the biggest way it's it's touched me personally. Obviously, the theme of my my uh, podcast yeah, is right, right. what causes you to be in awe of God that sure. changes and makes you the way you are now and keeps you going forward. So thank you for sharing that. I appreciate Absolutely. that. Yeah. Hey, Christopher, so one last thing, just um, maybe you can give us some insight on where we can watch this, mm-hmm. hear about it, get in touch with you or anything else along these lines. Uh, where do we go? Sure. So, I mean, depending on when your listeners are, are hearing this, um, it, mm-hmm. it's going to be broadcast uh, all over the country on PBS stations. Uh, the big broadcast will be on Easter uh, okay. 1230 Eastern time. Now I'd imagine that most folks are listening to this after Easter, uh, yes. but it'll still be doing PBS broadcasts for a long time on, on, on different stations. So I would just say, check your local listings. Um, okay. but it also is streaming on Apple TV, on Google play. It'll probably be coming out on, on more streaming sites here in the next month or so, but those are two big ones where people can find it. Okay. Um, and if you visit our website, theirs is the kingdomfilm.com. We yep. have a full list of of screening dates and different places to watch the film there. And so that might be the best first stop, actually. Just go to theirs is the, the kingdomfilm.com and you could find out all the information there too. Excellent. That is great. Christopher, really appreciate you taking this time with us and thank you for really giving us your time and this movie, this documentary to get us to think differently about how we view people and view what God wants us to be doing with people. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, God bless you. We'll talk to you soon sometime. All right. Take care. All right. Bye.